side of the virtual hardwood, it's the MLSC Podcast. This is episode 475. I am Andrew, Andrew in our forum, and Andrew MLSC on Twitter. Joining me as always, my co-host Derek. He is DP3 in our forum, and also on Twitter at DP3G and DP384. What's new, Derek? Well, we have had a lot of great video content go up since we last recorded the NLSC podcast. So I wanted to highlight those videos real quick. I definitely recommend the community to jump on the NLSC YouTube and check out all the great content that we upload every single week. Andrew and I had a session on and one street ball for PlayStation two. We played co-op we were using the professor escalade sick with it and whatnot. And we played against the CPU at Holcomb Rucker park. And that gameplay video is up and it's a real fun watch. I definitely recommend that uh, NBA jam 2010 EA successful reboot. This is Andrew's uh, NLSC Wayback Wednesday video feature. And it's an excellent deep dive into why NBA Jam 2010 was successful and what makes that game so good. And then we also had the NLSC Top 10 Plays of the Week, which was one of our best yet. And the reason being is because we had great variety. It wasn't all dunks. We had a chase down block by LeBron James submitted by Sweet Jones OTF. We had three different buzzer beaters, um, including two game winners. And we also had alley-oops, you know, the standard posterizing dunks and whatnot. And an amazing highlight from NBA Inside Drive 2002, which Vince Carter was the cover athlete for, submitted by at B-Ball Video Games. And it's a spin move by VC himself and an under-the-leg jam, reminiscent of what he did in the dunk contest so check out those three videos on the nlsc youtube you will not be disappointed always great stuff going up to our youtube channel uh derek you've been spearheading that initiative for gee over two years now i want to say top 10's going strong i, I was just watching it before uh, get- getting that sneak peek before the community obviously and uh i'm just watching those uh that string of buzzer beaters like oh okay oh okay and just seeing them get progressively more uh, impressive uh very cool uh, the, uh, the the selection of games, obviously, we also had uh, Hoopland in there, which is in beta from uh, Quality Games. Uh, that's, that is a uh, free uh, free mobile game you can play. No uh, microtransactions in that one. Uh, he is in the NLSC forum, uh, taking feedback on that game as well. So you can uh, you can play that and uh, let him know directly via our forum uh, what you think of the game and how it could uh, continue to get better. Very cool-looking game and uh, fun game as it is already. But yeah, w- what a great top 10 uh, that uh, that retrospective is also a long time coming, Derek. Uh, I was also very chuffed that uh, Tim Kitzrow uh, retweeted that on Twitter. That was, uh, as I said, in the uh, retrospective itself. Tim is a very cool guy, very cool to interview a few years ago. You can go back on the channel or through any of the uh, or through the podcast archive on the site or on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and uh, listen to the interview I did with Tim. There is a link in the description of that video. Uh, what an awesome guy! And to uh, promote that when he when he doesn't have to is uh is very cool yeah i mean he's it sounds like he really enjoyed his time on the show when you had him on as a guest he really enjoyed that conversation and i've seen him interact with much of the content that you share um you know on twitter 
and whatnot. Seems like a great guy. He's still flying the flag for NBA Jam, which we've talked about so many times, which is super impressive considering how long they haven't had a release. Um, but you know what? He's always going to be the face of that franchise. Mr. Bullshit. And he knows it. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he loves it. Um, but speaking of Hoopland, um, you know, by quality game, I did reach out to the developer and he stated that they plan on having it come to Steam. And I think that's great. So it's not just going to be a mobile game. Um, they're going to release it on mobile first. And then the plan is to move it to Steam. And why is this exciting? Well, you and I primarily PC game, correct? That's right. As, yeah as does much of the community and this will open up modding opportunities for us on the pc be really cool to make some cool rosters uh new characters for that game etc and i'm really really impressed with the art style and gameplay on that game um i think that it's very unique it's very retro it's super classic like i can't wait for that game to be released on pc because i'm jumping all over it i mean as far as the art style itself i wouldn't say it is completely akin to basketball classics that has its own style more more uh, along the lines of double dribble as we've said before and of course josh and dave friends of the show we've talked before about how, how they did something so fantastic with basketball classics but again having the, it's great to see another game in that retro style come to pc so yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to that that's going to be awesome Right, I would say the Hoopland game is more 16-bit era. Mm. That's the way I look at Agreed. it from an animations and graphics perspective as opposed to Basketball Classics, which was basically a tribute to games like Double Dribble, right? Like the 8-bit era. So, um, yeah, I love Basketball Classics, and I can already tell that I'm going to love Hoopland. So, you know, we'll give you more updates on that game, on that release, on the show you know, as we get information. I did want to point something out, though. I brought up And One Streetball. And you know how much I was looking forward to revisiting this. I, I got a hold of Andrew, and I was like, let's connect on Parsec. Let's play And One Streetball. I really want to play this game again with somebody. And I was so, down. I was down. Oh, he was down immediately. Yeah, there was no objections from Andrew, trust me, because he, he likes this game as well. He's written a whole article on this game. And so we connect, we play co-op per usual. And I would say probably after the first five minutes, we really started to get the controls down. I don't think the learning curve is too steep in that game. It's really good for pickup and play. And it, we started just throwing alley-oops to each other. Um, you had a block on one end and then a, uh, a bounce self alley-oop to yourself and throw down on the other end, which easily could have made the top 10 this week. And it might show up in a future top 10, depending on how many submissions we get. I had a bunch of good blocks with Escalade. We were doing post moves with him. Um, the shooting in that game actually looks really cool. And, and the shooting forms are, you know, pleasing to use and whatnot. So like shooting outside shots was fun. I know that you hit a corner jumper with sick with it, but this game is one of the more fun basketball video games I have ever played as far as like an all around gameplay perspective. And it's really the game that most embodies street basketball. I think you can agree as far as the, um, the attitude of it, the physicality of it, um, the culture, the, all of like it 
has it all. It has the fancy dribbles. It has the loud blocks. It has the crushing dunks, the you know players falling to the floor and whatnot. It has all the style of real streetball. Sure, it does somewhat have you know arcade elements built into it. It's kind of like an arcade sim hybrid. But I don't think there's another game out there that embodies streetball as well as and one streetball. I agree. And look, that is not to disparage the NBA Street Series, but it is more arcade-leaning, obviously, with some of its exaggerations. The art style, obviously, of the players in that series, or at least the earlier games, they did go a bit more realistic in uh, home court, a little bit. Uh, still a bit stylized, obviously, and uh, some of the really high-flying dunks that they have, not quite jam style, but uh, but certainly more uh, this street, uh, in NBA Street uh, still leaning in that direction, whereas and one basketball, as you say, is that hybrid. And there have been some games that are in that hybrid uh, arcade sim genre of basketball games, and they are very interesting. Uh, some of them are very fun to play. That game, what, what impresses me, and, and look, I'm going to start with a couple of criticisms here, that there's a, there's a funny issue where the five-second inbound count starts a little bit too early, before they've scooped up the ball. If the ball bounces off, to the side and the player takes a couple of seconds to retrieve it you really need to uh get it get the ball in quickly because they're already starting the five count this even the cpu got the five second violation a couple of times when's the last time you've seen the cpu get a five second violation in a basketball game Derek? oh yeah it happened actually in the two games we played i think there were three five second violations which is entirely too many and the other big gameplay issue i would say the the other biggest gameplay flaw is the player not reacting appropriately to shooting the basketball under the hoop. So if you're like in the paint, like under the hoop and, you know, in real life, if you go up for a shot, you're going to adjust your body and your arm and you're going to release the ball. um, You know, like, like you go off the glass or you're going to put it up over the side of the rim in that game. If you go up to shoot, you will shoot it behind the backboard and it will happen multiple times or you'll shoot it off of the bottom of the rim and i think that that happens entirely too often which is funny because that is kind of an old issue from old video games that came out for like a decade before and one street ball (laughs) came out right um so that should have been ironed out for that release but outside of that i would say the gameplay is so immersive and it's fun on both ends and how good is the courtside hype man Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Oh my God, the cutscenes with him. um, It's perfect. You know his. It's perfect. It it really is. It's um, you you can get so immersed in the action. Um, you feel like I I talked about it when we had King J Mace on. You feel like doing something big to impress the the hype man and whatnot. And it's just, it's street ball bliss. That's the way I look at and one street ball. Agreed. And and but to that point of those uh, problematic mechanics. That is, they are worth noting because you do run into them, and the the airboard layups behind the glass happen do happen a bit too often. But some of those issues did happen in other games, even around that time. Even in NBA Live, there were problems sometimes shooting into the back of the glass as well. It would happen around the rim and in the paint. Some of the animations weren't fantastic. But to that point, that team, that developer, not known for basketball games, yet outside of the issues we just highlighted, very solid mechanics. A dribbling system, the eyeball system that works very well, the the alley-oop system, the, with a lot of the controls, very intuitive for the time, and just all just the dribbling mechanics, the shooting mechanics, 
dunking mechanics, everything else, uh, defensive mechanics, stealing and uh, blocking, etc., and some of the blocks off the glass and the grab blocks and everything. For that era, for a developer that is not known for making basketball games, they made a really good basketball game. You would never know that they weren't veterans in the space. Yes, with exactly. that game. And the other piece of this too that I thought was super cool with that game is the graphics. That game's graphics are excellent. Mm. Uh, they still look good today. And like the Professor Cyberface, Escalade, like they really worked hard on making th- – there's a huge selection of street ballers and and one players in that game. And they worked hard on every single one of these players. They gave them their signature look, their sign- signature style, and you really feel like you're using them on the court um i'm just i'm floored by it no it's not a perfect game yes there's issues sometimes when you play you know as with any game but you would never know that the developers of and one streetball weren't veterans of basketball video game making because i think that that game just is is excellent and how about the menus too and everything just the the, the overall presentation presentation. yeah it it is just It's reminiscent of the DVDs that you would get at the time, the N1 DVDs, because I remember my cousin got some and we were watching them one day, and it's exactly like that, and it it just brings that, that the right feel, the right vibe. They, they got it so right. Yeah, and just to let people know, that game did come out in 2006. Um, so the other game that we connected on was March Madness 99, and I was eager to do this, as you know, because we had never visited a 90s women's hoop game together and just so people know that starting in march madness 98 um they had a few women's teams that you could choose from and we ended up playing march madness 99 we were virginia at home we went against yukon and it was surprisingly fun in a completely different way than NBA Live 99, which is crazy because, again, you would expect March Madness 99 and NBA Live 99 to have the same graphics and gameplay um, system to a T, almost like, remember, NBA Live 96 and Coach K College Basketball. But March Madness 99's gameplay and look is almost like an NBA Live 98 and NBA Live 99 hybrid. So what was really cool about that session was – you know, not only the look of the game, but it really looked like female hoopers out there, you know, with the ponytails and the, you know, the hairdos, all of that stuff. But just the overall gameplay felt like women's hoops, right? They did a really good job differentiating the women's game in March Madness 99 from the men's teams and everything. Um, obviously, you know, we didn't get one dunk. In the game, um, we were mostly shooting outside shots. We were trying to run plays, etc. We weren't relying as much on speed as we were, like moving the ball and everything. And I felt like that game ended up being incredibly fun and unique as a result. And we are going to spend a future show talking about, um, and probably going to be the main topic about women's hoops in video games. But how great was that session? Now, that was really cool to uh, to visit that game, to play that for the first time, because, as I've said before, growing up in Australia, you don't have the college basketball games. It's only been in recent years that I've been able to import the games on PS3, just a few of them, for uh, the 2K series and the uh, uh, March Madness uh, college basketball series from EA. And uh, so, so to revisit, or rather to play for the first time, uh, the uh, 99 edition. And, and you're absolutely right. 
it does feel like that hybrid of 98 and 99. I felt that about a lot of the college games I've played, actually, when comparing it to the NBA counterparts. No doubt because of when they're released. Uh, they, they obviously share technology with the NBA games, but they are doing their own thing. You can compare them and see different things like backboard shattering or different mechanics. The momentum meter. I mean, you talk about uh, being ahead of the time. The, the momentum meter that was in uh, March Madness 99 there. Live wouldn't have that until... What, Live 07, I think. I mean, there might have always been some internal logic, but not that was represented in the game. So that was really cool. And yes, it does stand out from the, the men's part of the game, the men's side of the game. It's uh, it's not just a reskinned version of uh, men's college hoops or just an NBA basketball for that matter. Uh, one thing that I did notice, and this is important, is that the PA announcer said, that's her, whatever, personal foul. Her. because, And this is important, Derek, because... Even as of 2K23, and I've seen this in our wishlist thread, I think it was Baseman58 said it, noted that there's still times in NBA 2K23 that they'll get the uh, they'll call a WNBA player he in the commentary. They'll get that the, the, that's still an issue with uh, incorrect audio in 2K23. So these little details, you do notice them. That was one of the things that I found so impressive about the women's teams in March Madness '99 is that attention to detail. Right. Like call it saying um, she instead of he. Like I said, the look of the players, um, just the overall atmosphere. Like you really do feel like you're playing a women's college basketball game. And uh, I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners realize that they were doing this back in the 90s, that women's teams were being included in college hoops games. I always said that a WNBA game should have been made uh, because it, when the WNBA was first launched in the mid-90s and whatnot, there was a ton of hype. You were there. You remember it. Yeah. And you know, it was all about Lisa Leslie and Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops and 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 all of that stuff. And you know, in the early days of the WNBA, and they deserved their own video game, in my opinion. And I think that you know, a lot of people would have picked it up. And it, it's surprising to me that, that the WNBA has been around so long, and they were only just recently included as extra content in an NBA game. But yeah, super impressive that they were including women's hoops teams in 90s college basketball games. And it would have been easy for them to half-ass it, right, at that time. I mean, if Simply getting those teams in there, if, if they just had the, the different body models, the different hairstyles, if the if, if the commentary still said he, people were like, oh, well, that's dumb, but, you know, it's it's just extra content, so they probably didn't record the extra, the alternate uh, announcer audio for that. But yeah, they, they went to the trouble. And again, both back then and today, that attention to detail matters. Oh, yeah. It always will. Um, it will always be appreciated. Um, we did uh, end up using specific players on our team as well. Remember, we had a small forward. Uh, obviously, there's no names in that game, but we had a small forward who was lighting it up from three, and we were consistently looking for her. There was definitely um, uh, a differentiation between players that was also really, really cool to see for a game that came out back then. We had an incredibly short girl at point guard, and it was hard to score with her, and it was hard to get shots off with her, and when you drove the lane, you felt like you were going into a bunch of trees. So um, uh, whenever she was on the floor, I tried to not attack as much. So um, I think that the gameplay is super underrated in March Madness 99 overall, uh, and yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to revisit that again. 
Before we go on, a reminder that the NLSC podcast comes out every week on the NLSC, mb-line.com, as well as our YouTube channel. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. If you're listening on any of those apps, we'd greatly appreciate a review. To keep up with the show and everything we're doing with basketball gaming in general, connect with us on social media. On Twitter and Facebook, we are The NLSC. We also have an Instagram, NLSC Basketball. And on YouTube, we're youtube.com slash NBA Live Series Center. Once again, visit us at nba-live.com, where in addition to the podcast, you'll also find all of our original content, as well as our forum and modding community. So Derek, something we were talking about off-air, I noticed it in the top 10 this week, the uh, play from NBA Live 2000, the replay angles that were used after the uh, the great steal by Julius Irving and going up for that huge facial dunk. Awesome highlight. Once again, check out the top 10. And while you're there, check out the playlist of all the top 10s. And as Derek said at the top of the show, everything we're doing with the NLSC YouTube channel. But yeah, the, this, those angles that we, that we used on the, the replay just reminded me of how awesome the highlight angles are in NBA Live 2000. I've underused those angles, as I said to you. Uh, I was really impressed by those in particular, very well chosen. And how awesome is it in NBA Live 2000 PC, when you go to the instant replay, you go to the highlight camera, and you click on that that, uh, drop-down menu, and it just pops up a huge selection of different highlight cameras. It's awesome. The number of options in NBA Live 2000 for instant replay angles is insane. Um, It's basically any angle you could ever dream of, you know, whether it be above the hoop, like a slam cam, um, you know, like right behind the backboard, um, you know, right on the sideline, you know, at mid court, you know, from an angle out of bounds, et cetera. Like any type of view you can think of, you can conjure it up in the NBA live 2000 instant replay feature. And it's so cool because the, the first highlight that, I showed um, from the instant replay angle on that Irving dunk was from one of those highlight angles where, where you select highlight and it gives you that huge drop down. But the other highlight was just the traditional sideline option where I could adjust the height of it and the zoom um, of it. And it is so cool. And it also gives you the option to do basically like a free roam, like put the camera wherever you want, change the height, change the zoom, change the angle, all of that really ahead of its time. I mean, if you think about it, NBA Live 2000 came out in 1999 and they're giving you all of these options on the PC version. It is, it's so cool. I mean, we've talked before about Live 2000, how much we love that game. That was such a landmark release. The best release from the original NBA Live team there at uh, EA Canada. And and yeah, what, what a fantastic game. Released in 1999 with faces that still look fantastic in 2023. Some of them, as we've said before, look better than next-gen NBA 2K, uh, to be honest with you. So, and, and you look at all of, the, all of those options, all of those camera angles, not, not, not even to get into everything else about the game with the very first franchise mode and everything, just, just a tremendous game. But again, that, that attention to detail, giving us all those options in instant replay, it's, uh, it's so important. Right. And Andrew's not saying that the texture quality is better. What he's saying is the likeness. Yes. Quality yes. is better in NBA Live 2000 for many faces. Like if you go through that roster and you look at the 3D faces in that roster view and whatnot, you will see many faces that look identical to their real life counterpart. And these are some faces that were messed up or missed on 
on like NBA 2K23 and some of the more, you know, just basically some of the more recent 2Ks. Have you seen a better David Robinson than Live 2000? No, it looks amazing. Looks absolutely amazing. My brother and I marvel at it still when we put on that game and we play our legend season. Uh, That's the Admiral. So yeah, no. That's, that, that is yeah. the Admiral. <laughs> and he's been messed up for years. But uh, speaking of NBA 2K23 real quick, uh, Luya has come out with a new hook tool that uh, works with the latest patch. It uh, works fine with the anti-cheat measures and uh, is not crashing the game. So you can use mods, create mods, edit the rosters with the uh, roster plugin, roster editor plugin. So that's awesome. As always, shout out to Luya for the hard work that he's doing. Very much appreciate that. You can find more information in the uh, 2K23 modding section. Something else that I also saw in the modding section this week, Derek, uh, brought up by uh, Snake212. Apparently, uh, offline roster saving is back as of the latest patch, uh, or so it appears, which is big news for the community. That has been a big problem with uh, 2K23 roster modding this year. So hopefully that's a thing moving forward. Yeah, I'm so impressed with Luya. Just the fact that you know, he continually updates the tools throughout the game's release cycle. And he, he's been doing this the last few years. Uh, before that, I believe it was Limnono and whatnot. I've said it before and I'll say it again. What would we do without him? What would the modding community do without Luya and people like Luya that create these amazing tools like the hook tool and NBA 2K tools and, you know, just all the plugins in general, the modded folder, all the like, um, the the people that create those tools keep the modding scene alive in reality and it also inspires some confidence in me derek that if 2k24 pc is next gen and there's always speculation about that it's been a few years a couple of years at least of getting the uh the current gen port or the last gen port whatever you want to say to the pc uh but if we do get a next gen port or now people calling that current gen whatever new gen let's say ps5 xbox uh, series x if that does come to PC this year with 2K24, you know there is there are going to be new techniques to learn. There's going to be things with the files to uh, to unpack, I'm sure. But having people like Luya in the community to make those tools fills me with confidence that we'll work it out, just as we have in years past. Yeah, I just hope he sticks around, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that Lumnono, I don't believe he's around anymore. At least not making tools for NBA 2K. Um, Greg K. Waste, who created like NBA 2K 15, 16, and 17 Explorer, which were huge for me modding wise and for pretty much the entire NLSC community. Um, you know, he was done after NBA 2K 17 Explorer. So, like, we need Luya in the modding scene. Uh, we need these great tool creators, and we really appreciate them. And this is something we have seen absolutely in years past. Happened with NBA Live as well when our, when our founders moved on. Tim Lutz and Brian, they made a lot of the editors in the early days. And so when they moved on, we didn't have those utilities. Fortunately, NBA Live was using a DBF files, so we were able to use DB Commander and other generic commercially available solutions to edit the rosters. The other thing with NBA Live back in the day, of course, Derek, is that we had other EA PC releases. So if there was somebody in the NHL modding community or madden or even need for speed a lot of the tools would work with the art files of nba live as well so that that's that was the other great thing back in the day that we had those other communities working on ea games that had similar file formats or or identical file formats and so we could share our tools with them and them with us so in fact i think it's uh uh, FishX, I think, was actually originally made for the NHL community, but we've made so much use of that for NBA live modding over the years. So it, it's really important to have these people uh, making these tools, and yeah, and also to that point, Derek, important for us to show our appreciation. Yeah, absolutely, and I know that 
many people in the community have donated to these uh, tool creators. And I definitely recommend, you know, if you do have a few bucks to spare and they do have like a donation link set up, you know, dropping a few bucks their way because um, they do put a lot of hours into this, you know, coding, uh, you know, making, you know, troubleshooting, you know, making sure that the release gets out right and that it's easy to use for the community, et cetera. Because with every patch now, we do need to have those tools updated because it does work with the executable, which does change with each patch with each official patch that comes through that wasn't something we really had to deal with when we could edit the roster files directly with redditor red mc or back in the day the mba live toolkits or again db commander and other dbf tools so the way that these tools have to be adapted for every new official patch that comes through a lot of work goes into that and these new anti-cheat measures obviously were a new barrier but uh, louis was able to figure it out so once again hats off to him and and so much thanks to him for sharing that with the community. Again, free of charge, but like you say, he does have a uh, a tip jar. So if you do have a few bucks to spare, uh, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. So Derek, as always, you threw out a question to our community this week. We've come to the uh, interactive part of the NLSC podcast. So uh, yeah, what are we discussing with the uh, with the community this week? So I asked the community, you know, in your gaming history, what upcoming real-life NBA games had you so excited that you had to throw those teams on the virtual hardwood? And if not upcoming, what great games or series had you throwing on a game? And uh, the reason why I thought of this as a good community question is because Game 7 is coming up between the Warriors and Kings. And by the time this podcast is released, that game will have been played. But I shared highlights on NBA 2K23 of the Kings at home versus the Warriors and me using the Warriors. And um, I use that as uh, content to kind of promote the mailbag post. Um, So there's going to be a lot of people who are excited about that game. And I'm sure there's a lot of basketball gamers that are going to be throwing those two teams on the virtual hardwood in order to kind of simulate what they think would happen or what they wish would happen, depending on whatever team or player that they're rooting for so before we get to the community responses which i believe we had six so thank you again to the community um i wanted to go over kind of a brief history of you know matchups that had us running to the virtual hardwood so what about you what what is an example of two teams that you wanted to throw on the floor based on a real life matchup so with me i'm mostly uh retroactive when it comes to that i'll see a great game and i want to play it or, or i'll see something that happens uh, in real life that uh, maybe a result that i don't like and then i'll uh, try and correct it if you will on the virtual hardwood uh to that point one that comes immediately to mind the uh, 2005 first round series uh the bulls and the wizards bulls back in the playoffs for the first time since the uh, 1998 championship and uh i thought they were going to take game I, th- I think it was game four that they uh they came very close to winning and uh, would have kept the would have uh, even up the series, but Gilbert Arenas came up with a clutch performance as he did in his prime, and uh, kind of uh, broke the Bulls' hearts, broke my heart with the uh, <laughs> with his clutch performance. So I wanted to get on the court and uh, and beat Gilbert Arenas and the Wizards with the Bulls in uh, NBA Live 2005 because uh, yeah that was kind of a a tough loss to uh, to weather because I thought oh this they're going to have a a good run again and they're back in the playoffs and. <laughs> They're the fourth seed, so they've got a they had home court advantage, but uh, no, it wasn't to be. So I had to uh, had to get on there and uh, correct that uh, uh, that uh, miscarriage of justice. Not really, but uh, in my mind, as a Bulls fan, Derek. 
I believe that I've done that a few times, especially related to Celtics games, because as you know, I was a Celtics fan all growing up, you know, living an hour, an hour outside of Boston, you know, watching all of their games, whether it be on Comcast Sportsnet or Sports Channel. But I was wondering, you know, with you being a Bulls fan, um, what about that first round series between the Celtics and the Bulls when the Celtics had Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, and it was the Bulls with Ben Gordon and Derrick Rose, and that's actually the rookie Derrick Rose, and uh, that was in the 2009 playoffs uh did you have any video game moments based on that matchup i'm not sure that i did i i, mean, I think i might have played a couple of games based on i, I think i was just enjoying the uh, the real series i i didn't give the bulls a, a great chance in that particular series celtics obviously still at the uh, the height of the uh, the uh, boston three party with uh, kg pierce and allen uh, i know kg was out in that series and i think he missed the entire playoffs that year actually if i uh, remember correctly but I still didn't give the Bulls too much of a chance, but that turned into an epic series. I obviously love that series, even though the Bulls lost. Only time the Bulls have beaten the uh, the Celtics in in a got a win against the Celtics in the playoffs. Not even in the Jordan era did they do that. That obviously. So uh, yeah, I, I think I might have thrown them on the court for a, a couple of games, um, but uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't as angry about uh, about that, those losses. I I guess I wasn't uh, picking the Bulls to win that as much as my heart would have. Love to see it, but uh, but yeah, w- what a fantastic series! I just remember Ben Gordon being completely on fire. That's that's what I remember. He, he's just lost. Being, he's lost good season, think, really. Unfortunately. Yeah, rising up and just hitting shots, um, almost what seemed like impossible shots from all over the floor. Um, so I guess to me, so really, it's a lot of my experiences watching basketball throughout my life was related to the Celtics because like I stated, they were my local team. I could watch every game and whatnot. So for like double dribble, it was putting on Boston, putting Boston on the floor, right. And pretending I was using the real Celtics bulls versus blazers. You know, you were, you know, I would put the Celtics on the floor oftentimes playing against the team that they had just played, you know, that night or the night before. And, you know, just pretend it was like real life. And, you know, simulate the real game and all of that stuff. Uh, I also remember with Bulls versus Blazers putting Jordan versus Drexler in um, many matchups, many different times, because my dad at the time was rooting incredibly hard against Jordan. And he just was calling him a ball hog and saying, you know, Drexler is a different type of animal, different type of player. He's gonna, you know, he's, he shares the ball. Portland plays the right way and all of that stuff. So I just remember my dad standing up watching those games. Um, like he was literally standing up, not sitting down, standing up, watching the games, just kind of yelling at the TV and, you know, yelling at Jordan and all that. Um, but I would, you know, put the Portland trailblazers on the floor and I would use Clyde Drexler and I would, you know, try to win that game and everything. So the Bulls versus Blazers 1992 finals was a big deal in my house. And then games like NBA Jam, I think you you know how much I love the 94-95 Celtics. Definitely. Being able to, you know, watch Dominique Wilkins number 12 in a Celtics uniform play with guys like Dino Raja, another one of my favorite players, D Brown, my favorite player at the time and everything. It's just one of my favorite Celtics teams ever. And on NBA Jam Tournament Edition, you could use all three of those guys, Dominique Wilkins, D Brown and Dino Raja were all 
in that game. So I always remember putting on NBA Jam and sometimes I would, you know, NBA Jam Tournament Edition and sometimes I would make the Celtics play the team that they played in real life that night or the night before and, you know, just go to town with my favorite Celtics. Um, And then in the mid late nineties, I don't know if you did this, but I was curious. I would often put the Knicks versus the heat. Yes. Uh, Yeah. If I, even to this day, if I need to get a screenshot of NBA live 98 or or thereabouts, I will often go heat versus Knicks. Yeah. It it just, it was such a physical matchup in the nineties. A lot of really great players played for those teams. I mean, look at the 96, 97 heat. It was, you know, Jamal Mashburn, Tim Hardaway, Alonzo Mourning, Dan Marley. They just had so many good players. And then the Knicks, the Knicks in the late 90s ended up with Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell, and they still had Ewing, and then they had Larry Johnson. And the the, the matchups between those teams was so fit. It was so physical. Um, there was so much talent on the floor. It was must-see TV. So on games in the mid and late 90s, I was often, you know, putting the Knicks versus the Heat on the floor and just pretending it was like this really true to life you know physical matchup and i have to say i admire the dedication there with nba jam because you can't pick your opponent so i'm guessing if you had to if you wanted to play last night's opponent you had to keep restarting the game until they came up well no my brothers and i would usually play against each other oh of course of course yes that, okay that makes well, it easier yeah. <laughs> otherwise you need you need to restart until you get the right opponent right so. i mean it's always great when you start a game and it randomly selects the team you want to play oh fantastic but, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but i uh yeah i should have clarified yeah so i'm um, rem- my brothers and I were always playing video games with and against each other. And um, I was never that big of a fan of going against the CPU on any game. Uh, so, yeah, it was usually playing against them. As always, you can tell which one of us grew up with brothers and who, which one of us grew up as essentially an only child with a half-brother that's 16 years older than him. So you can tell the right. difference. You immediately, your mind immediately went to the solo experience. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've t- we talked about that on many podcasts in the past too, about our, our different upbringing and how we played these games and everything. And I, I do find that incredibly interesting. Uh, I also wanted to point out really quick, and I don't know if you did this, I know that I was just a huge Jason Williams fan in the late 90s when he was like a rookie and like in his second year and then in the early 2000s. Um, I would try to put the Kings on the floor throughout the early 2000s. NBA Live 2000, NBA Live 2001, Live 2002, Live 2003, Live 2004. Um, even when Jason Williams wasn't there, when it switched to Bibby in 0102, the Kings were just still so exciting because they still had Weber. They still had Stoyakovich. They had Doug Christie, um, Vladi Divots. They always had an interesting bench with like Bobby Jackson and whatnot. And they had shooters. I think one year they also had like John Barry and then they had crash Gerald Wallace. Like I loved the early two thousands Kings with or without Jason Williams. And I would always put them on the court either against the Lakers, like a real life Titanic matchup or, you know, another Western Conference powerhouse or something like that. And it was just always fun to throw those kings on the floor. And I'm guessing that that was a similar experience for you. Um, I know that you always tried to draft Mike Bibby or at least get Mike Bibby on your your team. (laughs) Right. So was it that way with you for the kings? Oh, definitely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I actually had a a memorable NBA Live 2002 franchise with the kings. And I, I started that during the my last year of high school, I, I think it even might have been 
I can't remember if I started it before or after the playoffs that year. It might have been after because I was inspired by the uh, the controversy of that uh, Western Conference Finals in 2002 that uh, that I started that and really got into the Kings. And the Kings were cool, right? They're this high, high-octane high team and, uh, like you say, with the passing of Jason Williams and then they brought in Bibby and he wasn't as flashy, but he was definitely a, a, a solid playmaker and that the team went further and, you know, on, on the cusp of... Uh, of even more success and you know there's been a lot of documentaries and articles written about that over the years but yeah those Kings teams were always fun to put on the floor uh they were you know the Lakers as popular as they are they're also the team that a lot of, a lot of people cheer against historically as well so I think a lot of us ended up cheering for the Kings out of out of that as well and you being obviously a, a Celtics fan you you can't go for the Lakers surely so uh so yeah you know the, the Kings were, were very popular uh, in real life and on the virtual hardwood in that respect. So, uh, so yeah, no, I definitely played with them as well. And that franchise was one of my favorites. I uh, I didn't actually finish it back in the day. Lost the save, unfortunately. You know, these 8 megabyte memory cards and you end up wiping these saves because I'll never go back to that. And then you realize you become a retro gamer later in life. Later in life. <laughs> a few years later, you become a retro gamer and you want to uh, revisit that. So I actually did recreate that and uh, played through and played through the playoffs finally and uh, got to the championship, beating the Heat in 2002. So, uh, yeah, I, a lot of fun memories of the Kings from that era. I will say that I did love the Kings in those games, but that also didn't stop me from using, like, Kenny Anderson, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, Tony Batie in those Celtics. Because I also loved the Celtics at that time. Uh, I loved the early 2000 um, and late 90s Celtics. Actually, you know what? I just love the Celtics. I love the Celtics um, from, you know – throughout the entire 90s, even with the struggling years, even with the 15-game win season uh, in 96-97, and then even with their struggles in the mid-2000s when it was basically Pierce with Ricky Davis and that short stint for Yuri Welch and all of that. Like, I just love the Celtics. I love tuning into them night in and night out. Never missed a game. It was a blast. And that 2002 team, that made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, we thought we were going to get Lakers versus Celtics. Again, that would have been an underdog Celtics team, but it would have been very cool all the same. But when you said, I love the Celtics, I'm just remembering uh, Celtic pride and uh, Daniel Stern just yelling out, I love the Celtics, to somebody when he was when they were trying to uh, talk down to him. But yeah, I've had the same uh, experience with the Bulls. I mean, when they drafted Jay Williams, and I'm not the biggest fan of Jay Williams these days. And of course, his NBA career turned out to be a bust, unfortunately, but when they drafted him, I was all ready to play the, a franchise with the Bulls in like 2003 because I was excited to have this uh, this revamped Bulls team and this young Bulls team it would be uh, fun to play with. Uh, didn't really work out in the long run or it took them a couple of years in getting Kirk Heinrich and uh, Ben Gordon and uh, Luol Deng and uh, Andres Nocioni and everything. And that was a much, I, I love playing with those Bulls as well. But I think to that point, when whenever the Bulls made some moves, I was eager to put them on the floor and try out the new look, uh, new look Bulls and other teams as well. If a team made a, a big move in the off season, that's what really inspired me to put them on the on the virtual hardwood as well and use use them and uh, go up against another team that had a new look as well. But often the Bulls, obviously, because of my uh, allegiance to them. But uh, but yeah, it, when something interesting happened in the off season, or if the uh, the Bulls were looking good that year, or interesting, or like 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 they might be better. That's what inspired me to put them uh, on the floor. How often did you put on Bulls versus Jazz in between 1996 and 1998? Oh, that's another go-to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Bulls versus Jazz. So a few other ones for me. There was a game where it was 
Suns versus Spurs. It was a late regular season game in 94, 95. And Barkley had like 45 points. I think it was a season high. I think 17 for 27 shooting. I think David Robinson had 23 points, but it definitely was like a duel between these two guys, two Western Conference powerhouses. And this is just such a super exciting game to watch. A lot of great players. A lot of great action. Barkley was moving in that game like it, he was with the 76ers, like the young Charles. He was flying in for dunks. Um, he had a really nice alley-oop finish, et cetera. And obviously he was rebounding like crazy. Um, but after I watched that game and then after I revisited it recently, I had to throw on a video game with those two teams on the floor. So when I revisited the game recently, it was NBA 2K19, the retro single season rosters, 94-95 season. Um, and I, you know, I took control of Barkley and the Suns, went head-to-head with David Robinson, and it was a blast. And I also did the same thing on NBA 2K13 and NBA 2K14, that same exact matchup. That Watching that game had me so pumped. It always comes back to that 1995 season, doesn't it? What, what a memorable time in the NBA. Oh, yeah. It was excellent. Um, like I said, you know, one of my favorite players of all time, Clyde Drexler, got his first ring that year when he joined up with Olajuwon. He played outstanding in that finals against the Orlando Magic and whatnot. Yeah, loved the 94-95 season. And the last few that I'm going to bring up uh, – I, I, I love putting the late 2000s Suns on the floor with Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, and Grant Hill, and Jason Richardson. Great video game team. They obviously had some success as well in the real-life NBA. But I love putting them on, and I for some reason I love putting them on against the Lakers. So I usually do like Suns versus Lakers, and you know it's Kobe with Pa and Derek Fisher, etc. But those are go-tos for me that that those two teams against each other in the late 2000s um when i put on games from the early 2010s i I love doing heat versus thunder just because of the characters and, and skill on both of those teams and mavericks versus heat uh, you know, obviously the 10-11 finals matchup, but that's a go-to for me as well in video games. And actually, you and I played that matchup on NBA Jam Legends on Fire Edition recently. And that's a gameplay video that will go up on the NLSC YouTube soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a summary. But a lot of times it was related to the Boston Celtics for me because no matter what year, I was just never missing a Celtics game. And Oftentimes I would put on a video game after a game, after a real life game and put the match up on the floor and just kind of like get into the action. I mean, when you love basketball that much and video games as well, it really just feeds your enthusiasm for both. I mean, you, you play a game, you want to go watch a real game and go outside and shoot around and play. Uh, you want to, or you watch a game, then you want to go around and shoot, <laughs> you want to go outside and shoot around and maybe hit the virtual hardwood so it's just you we could we couldn't get enough basketball in the 90s that's that's why i think it's so, so memorable it was just all about the sport all about all the stars in the league uh yeah this is why we have so much nostalgia for that and uh, uh no surprise that the celtics obviously featured heavy, heavily for you just as the bulls did for me but before we get to the community's responses and thank you once again to everybody who responded to that prompt that derek put out one other matchup that i often put on the floor either for screenshots in, from games of that era or just in general, whether they're in the gamers retro teams or retro roster or just, in, again, playing games of that era, is uh, 
Spurs versus Timberwolves, Derek. Specifically, the matchup of KG versus Duncan. Oh my God, they went at it. Also, Dirk and KG mm. went at it in the playoffs as well. That's a titanic matchup. And my brother, my brother Nick, his favorite player is Kevin Garnett. And trust me when I tell you that he would constantly put KG on the floor against some of his biggest rivals and my brother mark's favorite player of all time is probably dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> so uh, as you can imagine i have watched many matchups between the timberwolves and the mavericks oh i can imagine yeah and great matchups in real life uh, as well but with with kg and duncan i mean th- there was a time and you remember well derek in the early 2000s debate as to who was better i mean duncan won the championship in 99 and then of course went on to further success as the 2000s wore on but from an individual talent standpoint I mean, yes, Duncan, the big fundamental, but KG could do it all as well. So, yeah, I just have so many. Whenever I get screenshots of uh, games from that from that era, you you see a lot of KG versus Duncan uh, matchups. It's kind of my go-to from getting a, if I just need a, a random screenshot uh, to uh, represent a game, say for a retrospective or, or whatever. Uh, I'm getting KG versus Duncan in those games. Yeah, I think that the common conclusion related to that debate was that Kevin Garnett was more skilled and overall talented like he had more raw talent than tim duncan and he could do a little bit more on the floor especially offensively but that tim duncan was just more fundamentally sound that tim duncan was going to do all the right things to win that tim duncan might have been a smarter player than kg but i think that if you if you ask that question today, and maybe I'll even do like a Twitter question related um, to that debate. Um, but if you ask today who was more skilled, I think a lot of people would say Kevin Garnett. And these are the fun debates, right? I mean, it, everybody focuses on the goat debate, but uh, you know, Carmelo versus Charles Barkley, KG versus Duncan. These are the other uh, comparisons that people would make, and, and they were interesting conversations as well. Yeah, and I hate to, I, I take. Uh, Barkley over Carl Malone as an all-around player uh, and, and I'll say till I die I don't, I don't care if the MVP version of Charles Barkley was in and it was in 92-93 I personally think that the best version of Barkley is the Sixers version that young Sixers high-flying version of Charles uh, he was just an absolute monster also, the, the 93 version of Charles Barkley, though, very difficult to beat in uh, NBA Jam Legends on Fire Edition. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be another gameplay video that goes up on the NLC YouTube, actually, as Andrew and I did play the 1993 NBA Finals. Um, we were Jordan and Pippen, and we were versus Barkley and KJ. And the Suns might be the toughest opponent in the game now. Barkley just shoving us all over the place and uh, making life miserable as we're trying to get highlights and buckets to win. But uh, look out for that uh, footage coming shortly. But we'll get to the responses from the community now. First up, uh, King J Mace. Shout out to Mace, of course, on the show last week. You can go back and listen to that. Fantastic conversation, Derek. He was an amazing guest and loved hearing his stories about, you know, not only how the Elite Street League got off the ground, but just overall his history with the game of basketball whether it be playing it um his history with uh, you know on the virtual hardwood etc 
he was a great guest, loved his stories. I love his streams, and I hope he's around for a long time. Absolutely. So Mace says, I ran 2012 Miami versus OKC every day before the finals. And yeah, when you have the final, when you have the NBA finals coming up, the playoffs in general, but certainly when you know who who are the last two teams standing, it, it just makes sense to put them on the floor and uh, and just play at your own finals, Derek. And yeah, I mean, him being a huge LeBron fan, I believe that's his favorite player of all time. Um, obviously, he's going to be incredibly drawn to that series, especially after the debacle in the 2011 finals where LeBron performed poorly and they lost to Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd in the Dallas Mavericks. Um, yeah, the like I said, I like putting those two teams on the floor as well. I still do it today um, when I revisit games. Uh the reason being is because the teams have a lot of fun players to use on OKC. You have Russell Westbrook who can basically do it all great mid range jump shot. Um, in a lot of video games, uh, he has the unbelievable, you know, speed, the unbelievable handle. He's throwing it down in traffic. He's getting out on the break. You have the sweet shooting of Kevin Durant, who also throws it down really well in those past games. They have Sergi Baca, on the defensive end and he can also step out and hit from deep mid-range and then in later games with the thunder when he started hitting threes he can step out to the three-point line you have the bullying ever intimidating kendrick perkins i'm kidding of course he's not exactly a highlight on the thunder teams um carry on um and then you have you know people like tabo cephalosha that can um stretch the floor Derek fisher was on that 11 12 thunder team on the bench so that thunder team is incredibly fun to use in video games so obviously with the heat you have you know the ability to stretch the floor and whatnot with mario chalmers and and then you have you know chris bosh you know lebron and um in, in Dwayne Wade, and that's still an excellent Dwayne Wade, and, and Chris Bosh is smack dab in the middle of his prime and whatnot, and you have some rim protection. Like, those two teams are great video game teams, and, um, you know, I'll revisit the, um, them in pretty much any mod that I download, or if they were the current team in that video game, like if it was, you know, NBA 2K12, 2K13, uh, et cetera, you know, I'm throwing them on the floor. And of course, the swan song of the uh, big three of uh, Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. Right, exactly. I think the thing is with James Harden in video games for that 11 12 team is he is often just incredibly dominant still. Like, I remember playing uh, the UBR mod on NBA 2K14, and I was playing against my brother using the 11 12 Thunder, and I was absolutely destroying him with James Harden. I think I scored like. 30 40 points effortlessly with him so that is such a hard team to handle in video games because you have you know russell westbrook james harden and kevin durant who can just give you buckets at any point in time during the game i think uh i think okc needed that harden actually in the real finals if they had him they might have uh, come a bit closer to the uh, to the gold there but uh Next up, we have Phil Lime, 2002. Says, only one that would count is playing with the Spurs against the Heat after the 2014 finals. Splitter was better than you would have expected, being the lowest rated from the starting five. And obviously, again, playing the finals matchup either before or after it's uh, taken place. Uh, I think we've all done that. And he notes uh, Tiago Splitter. And, and I think a lot of us, Derek, have had that uh, that player in games. I mean, they're the virtual hybrid legends. We've talked about them many times before, in fact. They're not rated very highly, 
but because of the mechanics, because of our stick skills, we're able to put them to good use. And uh, yeah, sometimes in some games, a player like Splitter could be quite dominant. I do remember that, by the way. I remember Splitter blocking everything at the rim and just being a shutdown defender um, under the basket. And then also just like having great hands and throwing it down constantly. True. Like it being a really good offensive rebounder. Like I remember all of that from video games. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, I've had some pretty good performances in video games with Splitter. Uh, but, you know, virtual hardwood legends at the center position, there are a lot of them. Some of the ones that come to mind for me uh, are guys like Calvin Booth. Calvin Booth was incredibly uh, dominant in the earlier NBA lives. You know, if you visit him, if you use him in like NBA Live 2004, you can post up and throw it down on people, hit half hooks, you're blocking shots at the rim. It's like, this is Calvin Booth, but, you know, you feel like you're using like a juiced up to Kenbe Matumbo. Um, and then, you know, guys like Larry Sanders later on, who was incredibly fun to use and dominant in video games. Um, I've already mentioned Hashim Thabit. There's a lot of big men that were a lot more dominant than they should have been in video games. I mean, you destroyed me with the beat. You got a game winner with the beat. I did get a game winner with the beat. That was fun. That was on NBA Live 10 when we did the um, the fantasy teams matchup of video game legends. And while Jumpin' Joe Alexander did give his best effort on your side to take you to the promised land and you did hit some big shots with Raja Bell, you, know, you couldn't overcome the dynamic duo of Kirk Heinrich and Hashim Thabit. Not even some uh, great play from Travis. So skilled he should be an outlaw. Um, <laughs> could save me in that one. No. Yeah, he, he killed me there. You hit a couple corner threes with Travis Outlaw, and you were also like driving in and throwing it down, um, tomahawking it and whatnot, but it wasn't enough. Next up, we have Big Perk at Sweet Jones underscore OTF, of course. Says, uh, would have to say the Utah Jazz versus Warriors with Darren Williams taking on Baron Davis. That series was epic, and it absolutely was. And again, that, that is another uh, matchup that I will always take screenshots of. Uh, I think I've got one in NBA Live 07. Maybe the only reason to put Live 07 uh, on, sort of, maybe, not quite. But uh, yeah, that's there's a reason that, that uh, uh, we believe Warriors are in the game. And of course, whenever I do take that screenshot, Derek, I have to have the uh, Jazz alternate, uh, just, like, uh, just like they were wearing when uh, Baron Davis threw down that big dunk. I love those jazz alternates too. Um, yeah, but Sweet Jones also mentioned uh, in his next comment the Baron Davis dunk on AK-47, Andre Karolinko. And that was so impressive because not only is Baron Davis, you know, a point guard, but um, AK-47 was probably the best shot blocking forward, small forward in the league at that time, or at least one of the best. Um, very good shot blocker. So um, yeah, that was just that whole moment. And then, you know, the crowd exploding and all of that stuff. Just like, what a crazy, crazy situation. Um, I put the 0607 Warriors in my NBA 2K17 Ultimate Classic Teams roster for a reason. Because that team with, you know, Baron Davis, Jason Richardson, um, Al Harrington, um, Petrus, um, I think the Andres Biedrins, uh, they had Monta Ellis. Uh, they, they were just absolutely loaded with fun players um and they also had size that's which is why i mentioned beadrins but um yeah that that warriors team is excellent obviously that jazz team darren williams if you remember correctly there was a huge debate back at that time you know who was better darren williams or chris paul oh yeah absolutely and if there's that type of debate chris paul is a surefire hall of famer if that debate is happening you know you're doing something right 
that jazz team also had, you know, Carlos Boozer as well and Mehmet Okur. They had a lot of good players. So, um, yeah, two really fun teams. Next up, we have Teddy Bear the Gamer says Lakers versus Kings in the playoffs. I jumped right on NBA Inside Drive. And, and yeah, I can obviously relate to that, as I said before. That was a big reason why I enjoyed playing with the Kings in NBA Live 2002 and uh, starting the franchise with them. And as I said, I can't remember if I started it before or after the playoffs, but certainly I was still playing it uh, after the uh, the Western Conference Finals, and that really did inspire me to uh, to take control of the Kings and, and try and uh, uh, guide them to uh, to a better finish. Well, there was a lot of drama in that 2002 playoff series between the Kings and the Lakers that went seven games. Not only two incredibly talented teams, but there's, there's a lot of people that still believe the Lakers um, were favored by the league and the refs in order to, you know, help them advance. And, you know, you do watch back the, that series and there are a lot of questionable calls, especially in game seven and whatnot. And you have to wonder, you know, what was best for the league at that time? If they thought the, you know, if the league did think that the Lakers were going to help market the league better um, and whatnot, and it made more sense for them to be in the finals, who says they couldn't have swung it the Lakers way? We'll never know. Um, there were, though, a lot of, you know, questionable calls in that series. The Kings, uh, a lot of people think that that was a championship caliber team. Um, and I do, I think so as well. I think offensively and defensively, they had it all. Uh, people forget, you know, Doug Christie was one of the better NBA defenders at that time. Obviously, Chris Weber um, was excellent as well on the defensive end for his position, you know, in protecting the rim and being able to switch out on smaller guards and whatnot. And, you know, Vladi Divac um, was incredibly underrated as a passer, uh, you know, as an offensive player, but then also um, as a smart player um, on the defensive end. And they had, they were loaded with shooting, they were loaded with ball handling, they had a good bench and everything. Um, Overall, it felt like they were the better team than the Lakers. Um, So yeah, it is fun to put the Kings versus the Lakers on in video games. And heading over to the Discord for a couple of more responses here. Once again, we invite you to join us on the NLC Discord. You can find a link on the main site and in the forum. Avery says, Warriors versus Cavaliers in NBA 2K17. And uh, that's that's no that's no surprise at all. Of course, Kevin Durant going to the Warriors in the offseason. And, and as controversial as that was, Derek, and again, we can talk about the controversy about that and the controversy of the Western Conference Finals in 2002 with the Lakers and the Kings. But it does get you invested in the sport. And you do want to jump on the virtual hardwood and play at those matchups, maybe maybe right or wrong in your eyes, or get the result that you want, or, or simply just play a great matchup between these memorable teams with all these great players. So yeah, Warriors versus Cavs in 2K17, with Durant added to the mix after the uh, 3-1 comeback in 2016. Yeah, no surprise. Yeah, again, you know, two teams loaded with talent and you know versatility because you have your your incredible ball handling with you know Kyrie Irving uh you are stretching the floor with Kevin Love you have LeBron attacking the rim and everything you, you like the the personnel on both of those teams is so dynamic and versatile that they're always going to be fun you know to use in video games and what's cool about that in 2K17 is it felt like they were really getting Steph Curry right if you remember correctly, there was this big push in NBA 2K16 because, you know, Steph Curry was doing all of this crazy stuff we've never seen before on a basketball court, you know, from a ball handling perspective, um, from a shooting um, exhibition perspective, etc. So, um, 
there was always this big conversation with 2K16, you know, can they get Steph Curry right? You know, can they get his dribbling right, his play style? You know, Steph Curry's changing the 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 face of video games and how we play them. And, you know, he's challenging video game makers. I, I know you remember probably seeing a couple articles on that around the time. Oh, yeah, he, he inspired the, uh, the range extender badge in 2K17. Right. Yeah, exactly. So in 2K17, they were really, you know, trying to, you know, perfect that and perfect that type of range and that play style and when you use steph curry on nba 2k 17 they really did get it right it just feels like you're using steph curry and finally we have juicy shack meat says it was the 2016 cavaliers piston series for me with roster updates on 2k 11 for the pc history simply says that series was a sweep but three out of the four games were very tight and competitive i remember that series fondly and have even beaten that Cavs team several times on the virtual hardwood so yeah that may be more of an an orthodox choice, Derek, but again, the, any series can inspire you. When, when you love basketball and basketball gaming, you know, you watch a game, you watch a series that is competitive, and it will inspire you to jump on the virtual hardwood. Absolutely. And hey, listen, that Detroit Pistons team, I mean, they're not very memorable, but they did have the legend, Joel Anthony. Yes. On that squad. Um, I, I remember that team mostly because of Andre Drummond, um, and he was with the Pistons for quite a while. Um, and obviously now he's bounced around a little bit. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they had Brandon Jennings, and uh, they were a streaky team, from what I can remember. Um, they didn't really have a, you know, a superstar. They didn't have somebody that was a true go-to. Brandon Jennings wasn't what he was, you know, with the Milwaukee Bucks and everything. Um, yeah, I, I think the thing is, is that I remember putting these Boston Celtics on the floor when they had Travis Knight and Andrew DeClerc. And I believe that's NBA Fast Break 98. And the Celtics were not awesome at that time. Um, they had Ron Mercer, Walter McCarty, Antoine Walker, and everything. But why did I put them on? Not only because I was a Celtics fan, but because I also felt that the team was incredibly interesting. So I feel like um, there's a lot of people out there that find even the teams that are in the middle of the pack, or maybe they're an eighth seed, or maybe they're not even a playoff team that they find them interesting. And I'm going to give you another example of a team that I found incredibly interesting. And I love putting on the floor that didn't even make the playoffs, the 0506 Philadelphia 76ers. Why? Because they have Chris Weber with Iverson, with Kyle Korver, with Iguodala, with D'Alembert. Um, John Sammons is on the bench. Lou Williams, long, young Lou Williams is on the bench. Matt Barnes is on that team. That team did not make the playoffs. They did not win 40 games, but they are a super interesting team and they're fun on the virtual hardwood. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there are people out there that do like that Pistons team, even though they're not very memorable. I mean, I was playing with the early 2000s Bulls out of loyalty and those were some rough teams. To, uh, to play with uh, and to watch in real life, of course, obviously. But th yeah, that's the reason I remember players like Carl Delamin, A.J. Guyton, uh, Delaval Bagaric. Uh, that's, otherwise, I probably wouldn't remember that if I wasn't using them on the virtual hardwood. But uh, to, the, to the point of that 2016 Pistons team, I just looked it up. Joel Anthony did not play in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, who's, who's to say what would have happened if they'd brought him there against the Cavaliers? That's like benching Shaq in his Lakers prime. Right. 
I mean, come on. Yeah, can't that. <laughs> that's insane. Um, yeah, no, that's the same way with me. Um, sometimes I remember players more from video games than I do in real life. And an example of that is a guy I mentioned earlier, Calvin Booth, right? I didn't see many games with Calvin Booth in it. I, I would watch him when he played the Celtics or if he was on national TV and everything. But in video games, I saw him all the time. My brother Mark would draft Calvin Booth and he would start him at center or start him at power forward and he would be an absolute powerhouse. Same with guys like Hashim Thabit. I wasn't able to see that many um, real NBA games with him in it, but on the virtual hardwood, I saw him constantly. And just a cheap plug when it comes to, to remembering plays uh, because of video games, I do have an ongoing Wayback Wednesday series about that topic, which you can find over on the NLSC, nb-live.com. But once again, thank you to everybody who responded to Derek's prompt. We always get great responses, Derek, from the community. And uh, as we always say, we love the interaction. The NLC is all about community. And, you know, you guys bring it every single week, whether it be, you know, the top 10, you know, sending in your submissions for that, uh, responding to the community question, uh, you know, commenting on the YouTube videos or getting in on the action on the Discord. Uh, You guys are the best. With that being said, that has brought us to the end of this week's show. As always, we thank you for tuning in and invite you to join us again next week, either on the NLSC, mb-live.com, our YouTube channel, or your podcast app of choice. In the meantime, please connect with us on social media. That's where you can get in touch with us and, of course, stay up to date with all of our content. So, Derek, go ahead and plug the handles. Yeah, you can reach me on Twitter where I'm the most active at D43G and at D4384. You can also reach me on the NLSC, D43, and check out my YouTube, D43. I am Andrew in the forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. The NLSC is on Twitter and Facebook at the NLSC. Our Instagram is NLSC Basketball. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash Center. And of course, keep it locked to the NLSC itself, mb-live.com, for everything we do for basketball video games. So, thank you once again for tuning in, and until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Derek. Go get buckets, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>